As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Hello and welcome to another classic replay from the archives of Unbelievable. This one is from January 2015. The term humanism is often seen as synonymous with atheism, but a Theos report titled The Case for Christian Humanism, Why Christians Should Be Humanists and Humanists Should Be Christians, claimed to show that atheism is ill-equipped to support the fundamental tenets of humanism. The report's author, Angus Ritchie, debated with atheist philosopher Stephen Law on whether atheistic humanism can account for the human dignity, morality and reason it espouses. Before we begin, a reminder that you can access a huge range of material and other shows on our website, premierunbelievable.com, and if you register there, then we will send you even more content through the newsletter, so do sign up for more at premierunbelievable.com. And now, Back to 2015 for today's classic replay. You're unbelievable. Well, today on the programme, we're asking, does humanism need God? Angus Ritchie and Stephen Law join me as my special guests in studio today. Angus is one of the authors of a recent Theos report titled The Case for Christian Humanism, Why Christians Should Believe in Humanism and Humanists in Christianity. Stephen Law is a philosopher, well known on the show, of course, he's been in several times over the years. He heads up the Centre for Inquiry in the UK and he's criticised the report and its claims. And we're going to give you links to that report and to Stephen's blog for Centre for Inquiry, where he's criticised it, and be talking about the whole aspect of whether uh, humanism at some level and in its uh, inherent beliefs about the worth of humans, dignity, morality, reason, is actually dependent at some level on the concept of God, Christianity, and so on. So uh, that's what we're looking forward to discussing today on the programme that aims to get you thinking Unbelievable. Um, Welcome along, gentlemen, both to the programme today. It's great to have you with me. Um, uh, Let me just set this up a little bit for those who perhaps aren't familiar with what this report is about, Angus, Um, because uh, you and uh, Nick Spencer, I think, were responsible for this one. And and, uh, you say that uh, talking about Christians versus humanists and humanism versus religion as if the two concepts were somehow opposed is 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 commonplace these days but actually they're not and it matters why um the amsterdam declaration on humanism apparently states that morality is an intrinsic part of human nature but you say the problem isn't whether christianity can support humanism in these beliefs but whether atheism can and uh, this is what you've raised in this new report. Um, specifically, you argue three of humanism's most important fundamentals are difficult to sustain on an atheistic basis, human dignity, morality and reason. Um, so do you want to tell us a little bit about this report, where it's come from and, and why you've decided to uh, 
have a pop at atheists who claim that humanism is theirs and, and you're saying, no, not so fast. Absolutely. Well, I mean, have a pop's an interesting uh, <laughs> phrase. I mean, we, we hope that... Uh, in some ways, this will be a genuinely helpful intervention. And mm. we actually uh, say on the cover and in the introduction that the aim is um, to uh, assist humanistic values lest uh, their opponents might take advantage. So we are genuinely aiming to be helpful mm. here. Mm. Uh, there are, I think, four things uh, we're trying to do. Um, the first is just to make the point that the word humanism is and needs to be shared. Mm. Uh, that goes back a long way, obviously, uh, humanism has a pedigree outside Christianity historically but for centuries there have been Christian humanists and we would say you know part of the reason that the term is now um, not shared as well as it should be is actually it's partly down to Christians we've Mm. we've some of us uh, have in our language used humanism to describe an entirely atheistic worldview. But, you know, uh, early 20th century Jacques Maritain, integral humanism, that was a Catholic Christian view. Mm. Uh, Pope Francis, uh, rather helpfully for us, although I don't imagine it was on his mind at the time, uh, a week before the report was published, he was in the European Parliament saying uh, Europe risks losing its humanistic spirit if it loses its mm. transcendent mm. set of values. So, mm. so in a sense, the first point is that humanism is a shared term mm-hmm. uh, and uh, there's no land grab here. Has, has it been co-opted, though, in your view, by atheists at some level? I, mean, I think there are, uh, there are atheists who have um, wanted to be possessive about the term and there are Christians who have colluded in that. But there is, you know, there's a strong strand of Christian thought. You know, when, when uh, Catholicism, as it consistently has, uses the term humanism, it's not doing that to wind up atheists. So there's, the, the term has to be yeah. shared. I mean, you, kind you, of given. you did wind up some atheists. Uh, I, I know that Andrew Copson, who heads up the British Humanist Association, did label it a land grab and even an attempt to troll a whole worldview. Um, what, what do you make Well, of part that? of my response was to say that the Holy Father really has better things to do than troll the British Humanist Association. Uh, and, you know, as, as one often finds himself saying to, you know, to kids, you know, we need to learn to share. It's, we both own it. So I think, you know, I think land has been grabbed in, in mm. both directions on this. There's a tug of war. Let's be sensible. And, uh, and I think that brings me to the second point, really, mm. which is that this isn't just, I mean, obviously words evolve and change, uh, but th- there is something of substance here. Mm. Uh, it's a perhaps a provocative way into a, a question of substance, as you say. The Amsterdam Declaration is, you know, is the kind of 2002 uh, statement agreed internationally, the World Humanist Congress, mm. uh, by which they meant atheist humanism. Yes. We thought the fairest way into this debate is to start with a characterization of atheist humanism, which they themselves point to. Yeah. So the Amsterdam Declaration is really interesting to read. It's got a couple of uh, points where I would wince slightly at references mm. to religious dogma, mm. but basically it's making a positive statement sure. from an atheist perspective, and it's remarkable how much of it Christians do or ought to support. So that's really the second point we're making, is that this isn't just some weird verbal thing that we're both mm. fighting over a term. The substance of the positive, ethical and rational view of atheist humanism uh, is actually a shared one. A shared yeah. one, pretty much. And I that mean, then, sorry. and the more, in a sense, then controversial aspect of it that I think mm. Stephen primarily takes issue with is is this claim that, in fact, though, 
to, to a foundation for these principles outlined in this report, uh, in, in the, the declaration and so on, are, are better founded on, on a view that includes God rather than excludes God and so on. So we'll, yes. we'll come to all that because I, we want to lay that out clearly as well. But let, let's just bring Stephen in at this point. Stephen, thanks for coming on the show today. Um, do, do you describe yourself as a humanist? Is that the kind of, if someone said, oh, what are you? you you'd say humanist as opposed to atheist or? Yeah, yeah I, well, both. I like both those terms. I don't have a problem with either. Um, I think that the thing to be clear about is that although the word is used to describe both religious people and um, all sorts of atheists. Um, those who, who on the secular side, the atheist side, describe themselves as humanists and organise under that mm. banner mean something different by the term. They are adding a number of additional conditions in particular. Yeah. Um, and they're requiring atheism or agnosticism, uh, for example. And that's how they use the term. That's the meaning that it has come to possess for those within that particular uh, community. But, of course, the word has a long history and it's been used in various other ways and continues to be used in other ways too. I mean, you're, you're not too concerned about the terminology per se, then, Stephen. Um, not as long as it's acknowledged that the word humanism is used and there's this established usage, this established meaning on which humanists are atheist or agnostic yeah. it's kind of atheism plus as long as that's being acknowledged um and, and angus acknowledges that i mm. think I'm, I'm happy yeah yeah i mean your, your <clears throat> bigger beef as it were with the the report is is these claims which i think we'll, we'll need angus to spell out at some level that the values that undergird humanism are actually find a better foundation in Christianity specifically than, than an atheistic worldview. This is something you've come across time and again um, yes. and, and you've aimed to refute uh, in, in various different ways. Well, <clears throat> yeah, well, so well, just to get our bearings then, um, it seems to me that those who hold supernatural beliefs, not just religious beliefs, but all sorts of supernatural beliefs, will often... Um, run a certain kind of argument for why their belief is actually fairly reasonable, more reasonable than the alternative. And the argument that you tend to find repeated again and again and again is, here's something deeply mysterious. Mm -hmm. We don't see how we can answer this question un unless we posit a hidden being with magical powers. And, of course, if you posit a hidden being with magical powers, you can explain anything that you want to immediately it's a super convenient form of explanation so you know when we, when we couldn't explain why the planets moved in the strange way that they did across the skies deeply baffling why did they do that because they're agents hidden agents and they want to do that and they have the magical power to do it why are there diseases and natural disasters again we attributed these things to agents it provides a convenient quick and plausible answer to provide that kind of answer if you can't find your keys mm. uh it may be deeply mysterious to you why they are now on the mantelpiece when you could have sworn that you left them on the sofa uh i might come in and say justin has it occurred to you that there's a, a gremlin living in your house and he has mm. the magical ability to appear and move keys around at will and moreover that's what he wants to do i can immediately and conveniently explain what you are now struggling to explain how your keys could possibly have ended up over there so you might think then that i might think that i can bring you on board into my onto my mm. gremlin mm. hypothesis and that that would clearly be <laughs> absurd wouldn't it you can see the general problem with this 
strategy in terms okay. of persuading people that they should come on board with a particular kind of belief in a particular kind of hidden being with magical powers. Just okay. take a step back and think about that for a moment before we get into the nitty-gritty. Well, well <coughs> we're going to aim to get into some nitty-gritty in the course of the programme and, and find out from Angus Ritchie why... Um, a magical being with magical powers. I don't know whether that's exactly what he'd su- suggest is behind <laughs> his belief in uh, the, the intrinsic uh, worth of humans and so on. But at any rate, Angus, as I've mentioned, is one of the team who put together this report on uh, the case for Christian humanism, available from theosthinktank.co.uk. Stephen Law, our atheist guest, uh, responding today from the Centre for Inquiry. You can find his blog there at centreforinquiry.net and, uh, and specifically to this report. Um, so uh, if you're interested in getting in touch as well in the course of today's programme, be delighted to hear from you. Email in unbelievable at premier.org.uk. You can find us online, premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable. You can find today's show, comment underneath that, share it with others, find the podcast and even ways into our Facebook and Twitter accounts too. All of that uh, I'll remind you of later on in the programme as well. Today we're asking, does humanism need God? <laughs> Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. So tell us, Angus, you, you say there are three ways in which the fundamental tenets of humanism and, and what it believes about hu- humanity are not really well supported by an atheistic worldview. You label them as human dignity, human morality and human reason. Um, s- s- topics that we've done in one form or another over the years on this program. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to try and unpack those all fully in the course of, of our time together. But uh, give, give us a flavour of, of what you're saying across these three areas and, and why you believe actually a Christian worldview is a better foundation for humanism on that level. Yes, thank you. I think, uh, I mean, they vary to some extent because part of uh, what we're doing is uh, making, a, if you like, an apologetics case mm. for Christianity. But uh, we also have an interest you know, acknowledging that... Um, it is unlikely that arguments will be so compelling that everyone will turn into a, a theist or a Christian. We're interested in um, atheists who are humanists, mm. um, you know, having a form of atheism that doesn't undercut it. Sure. So there is a genuine sense that on some of these issues we are both being provocative mm. and genuinely mm. trying to be helpful. Mm. Mm. And perhaps human dignity is the most obvious example of that, um, that I think... Uh, a number of atheists, some of them uh, people who get a lot of airtime at the British Humanist Association uh, as advocates of this mm, position, mm. actually have views that when you press them, uh, do cut off the atheist branch. I'm, I, and it's not clear to me how the branch will, will remain. It feels to me quite intrinsically wobbly, but I'm genuinely all ears yeah. as to how that's going to work. Uh, I mean, I was going to say, for instance... For instance, Sam Harris Harris, would be a key person. I mean, Harris's uh, view, uh, and if you go to the BHA website, uh, there's a very positive, glowing review of Harris in conversation with British Humanist Association Mm. Vice President Richard Mm. Dawkins. Mm. Uh, And Dawkins says, you know, I used to think uh, science couldn't really provide, he said this on the cover of one of Harris's books, I used to think science couldn't really provide a basis for morality, but you know, Sam Harris has made it all clear. Mm, mm. Um, and actually, I think there's some really dangerous territory here because uh, Harris has quite, in my view, uh, quite a crass view of the readover from um, maximum human pleasure and well-being 
to mm. the right thing. He mm. writes mm. polemically with no awareness that this is really tricky territory. And it, there's a particular example he gives, and it might sound like the kind of thing you'd throw around in a mm. seminar room of utility monsters. So, you know, if we have this view that you want to maximise pleasure and minimise pain, what if there were beings who gained a vast amount of pleasure from human beings being in pain? And he says, yeah. well, you know, he doesn't quite say thank God, but <laughs> thankfully there aren't. But if there were, I guess that would be right. Well, that kind of worldview, we, I would argue, is deeply anti-humanistic. That undercuts key things in the Amsterdam Declaration mm. about how human beings are not in that way interchangeable. There is an intrinsic dignity we have as humans, and that's not tradable off. And that has implications which Christians don't always get right, even though I think Christian teaching is yeah. clear on this, about the impermissibility of things like torture. So our point here is, yeah. in the name of, and we're not setting up Aunt Sally's, in the name of humanism, of an atheist mm. kind, a key part of the public polemic for this is a position that undercuts yeah. humanism. And we would like to make common cause with atheists who think that's dangerous, but also to hear sure. how they're going to ground so, it. So if, if there is, you know, and, and it's in the title, isn't it, humanist, humanism, uh, that, that there's a something special about humans. Is, is that well? Okay, you're about to. You're well, about that to, is a key. You're about to. to yeah, to, to object I mean, to you that, have Stephen. to be a little bit careful because it's actually potentially quite a misleading title, as I explain in my book. Uh, a very short introduction to, to humanism. humanism. People often get the wrong end of the stick about what the term means. But just to return to Sam Harris. Um, you know, I, I, I like Sam Harris's uh, books and I read them, but I'm, I'm not persuaded by everything that he says. And I think some of the things that he has said are fairly silly. You might, some might suggest even potentially dangerous. Uh, I wouldn't take that view. But, you know, he doesn't represent all humanists. Mm. Uh, in fact, I would suggest he, was, he is rather atypical. Um, there are people that say silly things on both sides, dangerous things on both sides. I seem to remember a few years ago, wasn't it Cardinal... Uh, Cormac Murphy O'Connor described atheists as less than fully human. Now, mm. that's a pretty dangerous thing to say, it strikes me, being said on the other side. Uh, it, you know, just, it's easy to cherry-pick your people, your ideas, your arguments, and use them as straw men and then say, that, that I've dealt with the entire position. Sure. I wouldn't suggest that all Christians think that atheists are less than fully human. I wouldn't, I wouldn't load this pretty odious view, it seems to me, onto every other Christian. Uh, similarly, please don't assume <laughs> that Sam Harris represents all atheist humans. No, he does sure. not. Okay. Although he has some very interesting ideas. Some of them yeah. I agree with, some of them so I some do not. Some of them you, you don't. <clears throat> um, uh, all right, just talk to us about humanism then. What's, do humanists believe that there's something intrinsically special about humans as opposed to the rest of the, the, you know, I would the say that as a rule, world. they don't. You don't. I don't. No. I, which is odd, then, because this is one of the, <laughs> this is one of the things that we, it's told we're being told that we sign up to, <laughs> and that we're having a hard time explaining, and it turns out we don't sign up to it. Um, no, it seems to me that what matters are what's morally important about human beings that makes them special and worthy of special moral consideration and respect and so on is not that the fact that they happen to belong to a particular species. It seems to me that the relevant moral boundaries are not species boundaries. There are, they are other kinds of boundary. Um, and if you ask most humanists what those boundaries are, they will say, well, 
They'll disagree, actually, amongst... Uh, you, you'll find disagreement and debate, but they will say things like, well, the, the, the capacity to suffer mm. is a very important mm. factor. We should not be causing unnecessary suffering. That is morally wrong. Now, this pushes the boundary away from just humans and allows us to incorporate all sorts of other species into our moral uh, sphere. Mm. Uh, and most humanists w- are more than prepared to do that, in fact. Um, but, some but surely also... most humanists would still say, nonetheless, if it's the choice between a, a dolphin's life or even a highly evolved you know, a, yeah. ape or whatever and a yes. human, the human is somehow... More important, we, we yeah, would choose but not the because human they're, but not because they're a human, not because they belong to one species what, what is rather it, than another. What, what is it? Because they have perhaps a greater uh, capacity to suffer, because they have the ability to make plans and carry them through in a way that a dolphin does not. There are all sorts of explanations and okay. answers that might be provided here. It's a very complicated and yeah, difficult it is. It is. question. What I would steer you away from <laughs> is an answer which is overly simplistic, which says that, as a matter of fact, it's just the species boundary. Everything this side of the boundary, everything human, that gets a special moral respect that we don't give anything on the other side of the boundary. Now, I, I, I doubt that even Angus really thinks that. I mean, supposing, supposing aliens appeared on the Earth, are we going to say, oh, no, you don't get any moral respect <laughs> because you're not a human? Or are you going to perhaps extend the moral consideration? And then my answer, my question would be, on what basis? Okay. And, it, Let, well, and is it going to be a, a theological one or a non-theological <laughs> one? Is it going to turn out to be exactly the same one that I would be okay. using? Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's let Angus we'll, respond we'll to, to yeah. some yes. of these issues. Then. <clears throat> yeah. I think the challenge here is uh, not so much one of extending boundaries, which uh, I think clearly we need to and we would need to in that example. It's, uh, I mean, call it simple, but what we've done is we've taken the Amsterdam Declaration as the basis for humanism. Humanism is ethical. It affirms the worth, dignity and autonomy of the individual and the right of every human being to the greatest possible freedom compatible with the rights of others. So our observation, you know, there's a really interesting line of argument Mm. to have, uh, as it were, somewhere else (laughs) about uh, whether that's the right position to have. So Mm. if if the secular philosopher is going to say well you know we don't want to be too dogmatic um maybe you know let's think reasonably about where we draw the lines fine all we're observing is that there seems to be quite a clear line drawn here it, it isn't exclusive and i agree with stephen that there are there are both questions about the moral worth of you know animals and of any other species that uh, might come to be found mm. but a bottom line for Christian ethics, yeah. is something about the inviolable dignity of every human being. And, and now, that's the question to, here is, yeah. which we press in the report, is well, if it's if, if the if the dignity argument is linked simply to certain kinds of capacity, what happens when those capacities are absent? Does the human being still have dignity? Because mm. it looks like the statement of humanism, which Christians and atheists could sign up to up to this point, says that it does. And so, so, so it's dependent on a sort of slightly utilitarian argument about, well, if you're able to reason and um, have some kind of capacity for being able to uh, experience suffering and, and all the rest of that. But you're saying there might be examples where we might say, well, what about the person who is in a coma or the, the very early development? Of person life who isn't or, very able to make plans at yeah, any point in their life. Who has you know, doesn't a, have a learning very much disability. Capacity to suffer, sure. feel pain. And I think the key point here, 
uh, the, the, and in a sense, if this point's conceded, I would say, well, hold on, this is all we're saying in the report. Yeah. The key point here is, uh, rightly or wrongly, whatever you make of the Christian moral tradition, it says this very clearly. It, the Christian moral tradition says that um, something like the Amsterdam Declaration on this is right. Yeah. And one can lampoon or debate why, but it does. The question for atheists is what argument they're advancing that justifies that. Now, I'm not saying there can't be one. I'm all ears as to what it is. <laughs> yes. Our worry is it looks like quite a lot of the key arguments in the field, although they're far more sophisticated than Sam Harris, have the danger that they seem to equivocate on this. And that's all we're really arguing. OK. Um, we'll come back to you for a response in just a moment, Stephen. We're okay. already at I the end I of our... I remember the point. <laughs> <laughs> we're already at the end right. of our first okay. part of our, our show. And, and so, you know, time is flying. And um, we're talking about uh, humanism today. Uh, does it need God? Um, Angus Ritchie and uh, Steve, um, Nick Spencer are the authors of a recent uh, Theos report on this entitled The Case for Christian Humanism. And uh, so we're asking whether uh, dignity, morality, human reason are all actually fundamentals of the atheist humanistic uh, uh, ideal, but but in fact uh, very difficult to justify on an atheistic basis. So says uh, Angus Ritchie and, and wonders whether Theism, Christianity specifically, is a better foundation for that. Obviously, Stephen Law, our atheist in the studio today, disagrees. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I've got a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time. And some of Tom's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Anti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong, because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' Death, Resurrection and Return devotional at premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. That's premierinsight.org forward slash unbelievable show. Thank you. Coming back to you, um, Stephen, mm. uh, it's effectively, you know, Angus is saying, um, well, just re- reiterate the very simple point you're making, which is it, show it's us in- how. Yeah, the simple point the, is this, there's a this Christian stands. story, whatever you make of its merits, which says that human beings are quite specifically made in the image of God. That means that the affirmation in the Amsterdam Declaration about the intrinsic dignity of every human being makes sense to that worldview. The question is, on an atheistic worldview, you know, how do we explain the intrinsic dignity of every member of the species, regardless of their specific sure. capacities? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Uh, what <laughs> uh, you will find atheists disagree about the extent to which uh, the different capacities and abilities and so on should be factored in, whether they've got them now, whether they might come to acquire them in the future, and so on. There are all sorts of complexities and subtleties here. What the vast majority of um, uh, humanists don't think 
is that there's something about the species boundary which is uh, morally relevant, which is morally important, that everyone this side of the boundary, mm. every being this side of the boundary gets special respect, special dignity, everyone the other side of the boundary does not. That, it seems to me, is, is uh, an unjustifiable position and potentially quite a dangerous so do you position. in that sense disagree with the amsterdam declaration I, I i'm i'm not at all comfortable about it i want to i want to say that um if aliens turn up tomorrow i if if they're showing the relevant capacities and ability to suffer and all of the other things that we hold dear then i would certainly extend to them uh, the same moral consideration that i extend to members of the human species and for on a much the same mm. basis and so would angus of course so he's using the same criteria <laughs> but no he wants to smuggling an, an extra special but, one but, I mean, which says that no every human gets a special status irrespective of whether they have the ability to suffer now or in the future the ability to make plans or indeed mm. are even conscious <laughs> uh, and actually i'm not sure that a brain dead vegetable person does deserve the same moral respect as, say, a chimpanzee. I'm not convinced that that's true. I am not sure that it's right not to torture one innocent person to save a billion. Mm. Do you? What do you think? I mean, and there are even some atheist humanist philosophers who have suggested that infanticide may not be out well, of no, bounds. Well, no, 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 let's not, let's not, that's not what I'm saying. No. Um, let's focus on things like torturing an innocent person to save a million. Many Christians would do it. They would. Right. They would say, you know what, the consequences of our not doing this are just so absolutely appalling for humanity that even factoring in human dignity, I mean, perhaps especially factoring in human dignity, we really would have no choice under those, under those extraordinary circumstances. Many Christians would say that. So, it's, you know, this is, a posi- this is not a Christians, Christians take one view and atheists <laughs> take another view and the atheists are in terrible trouble. The fact is that these are just extraordinarily difficult Questions, sure. difficult okay. problems. And what is dangerous, it seems to me, is to oversimplify them by saying, no, 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 don't worry about all of that stuff. There's just some special God-given difference between human beings and everything else. And we get the special respect and they don't. And it's as simple okay. as that. Because now we're not listening, we're not looking at science and we're not looking at the common sense criteria that we already all normally apply. We're now appealing to differences which are magical, which are invisible, and we ha- which we have to accept but, but on the say-so of the theologians. And right, they but, are remarkably <laughs> unreliable guides to where these what, magical what differences What Angus are. you're saying, I think, <clears throat> is that actually, no, lots of atheist humanists are also apparently coming up with a magical definition that, that does Look, does uh, prioritise humans, even though obviously you, Stephen has well, an, an issue with that. Let's, let's, make, let's have a... Let, I, th- I think there are two points to make here. Uh, one simple and one much more complicated. The simple point is that it actually looks like, if I've understood him correctly, Stephen agrees with a key claim of the report, which is that when you take the first fundamental of modern humanism. We've left it to the atheist humanists to define this worldview. They've had a congress. Mm-hmm. They've all signed up. Let's go to the British Humanist Association website, click through. This is what they say. Yeah, they're atheist all signed humanism's up. values are. Now, I'm not saying every atheist, but this is, the, this is a public face of it. And all we're saying on this is that a Christian worldview would justify that sentence fully and unequivocally. Actually, and we'll come on to some more complex stuff in a minute. Mm-hmm. And it appears that Stephen is agreeing, as I understand him, that an atheist, a sensible 
atheist worldview wouldn't. It would be more equivocal about that sentence. So that, yes. I mean, all, so in a sense... And so would many Christians. Yeah, yeah. But, so, so, but, but the contention <laughs> cool. of the report is, let's get back to that, Sorry, is let's you, take... Well, no, 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 no <laughs> let's see. Let's, this is quite significant. The contention of the report is that the statement presented by the International Humanist Ethical Union as the agreed position of atheist humanists, their values mm-hmm. are better sustained by Christianity than by atheism. We're not actually... I mean, the report doesn't offer... I'm quite happy to give on a... You know, but the report doesn't offer a line-by-line defence of them. We're just observing that these allegedly humanist values that the atheist humanists have put together themselves Mm. are better sustained by Christian worldview than atheist worldview. And that appears to be, to my surprise, common ground between us. Well, first of all, even that what you've just said is not true. I mean, you can say that humans have a special uh, di- dignity and are deserving of special respect without saying that it's by virtue of being human that they, de- they deserve it. And it may be that the authors of that particular report are not committed to that view. There may be other fact that it may be that the boundary that they're drawing just extends far beyond the boundary of human beings. But it's includes not, humans. But includes human beings. But in any case, there are very many humanists that simply wouldn't sign up to the view which you appear to be attributing to those who authored this document, which is that the human, non-human boundary has some special moral significance. I wrote the very short introduction to humanism for the OUP. I did not include that claim, and I very explicitly didn't include it. And that book was read by all sorts of humanists... Who are, are humanists just a bit confused then? Because they're saying no, they're one confused. thing in they one dis- document and agreeing with you on another book. There are and- hu- well, it's not even clear that this document contradicts what I'm saying, is my point. Okay. Well, this is why I think there are two things we need to unscramble here. One is, can the boundary be extended beyond the human? And, you know, I think, I think there are some really interesting questions there about what worth should be given to non-humans, mm-hmm. you know, both ones we we know about and any that we Mm, might encounter. mm, And I agree mm. with Stephen that those are really interesting questions that we need to discuss and deliberate on. My point is, uh, and Nick's point, is that the the line of argument being used here to justify the worth, dignity and autonomy of human beings is one that doesn't seem to give it to them all. So the key thing isn't about hospitality beyond the human race. The key thing is to what extent this applies unequivocally within the human race. Now, at this point, absolutely, uh, in one sense, very happy to, to accept, I'm making an appeal to a revealed truth of the Christian faith. That doesn't yeah. mean it's magic. That doesn't mean any theologian gets to make it up. <laughs> There's a strong tradition within Christianity of no, offering reasons, is, of offering reasons yeah. for uh, trusting the revelation. So all we're saying, and as I say, it does appear that we might be in agreement on this, is that when you take the core claim of, you know, number one claim of the Amsterdam Declaration, uh, that the mainstream Christian tradition, mm. I mean, let's just look yeah. at the, you know, for example, the most the denomination that has is both the largest in the world and has the most explicit and unified teaching, mm. I guess, is the Catholic Church. Mm. It's very clear, and, and I, I agree with Stephen, not everyone would agree with this, but you know, it, it would say no torture. There are things that just are wrong to do. Okay. Uh, and and so, so there is this sort of, yeah, inherent, inherent dignity. Which that, is humanist, yeah. which supports this, and it, it seems uh, that and, we're and, right in that. And, and is there a worry that, that atheist humanists, um, if, if they do digress from a, a kind of view of the intrinsic worth of human beings... And it is dependent upon their faculties, their their ability to reason, to experience suffering, and so on. Is that a problem for you at any level? Are, are there situations where we should be concerned and wonder where, what 
path that may take us down at any level, Stephen? Uh, I'm not quite sure what you're getting Well, at. I, I but, suppose um, I am. I mean, you, look, you cut me I off earlier when absolutely... I mentioned infanticide, but, but hmm. that is where some people have gone with this and said a, a child, even up to a couple of years old, is not the fully developed human that Yeah, um, that would be a remarkably is... crude... Um, I mean, it's a bit, it's it's like Uh, wheeling out Cardinal (laughs) Murphy O'Connor again. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But then, you know, let's just stick to what sensible humans (laughs) actually believe. Uh, and yep. stop willing these these nut jobs. Well, right? No, I agree. <laughs> I agree. That's, uh, I'm, I'm not claiming to, to sort of say this is in any way a a prevalent view among humanists. But I, I guess what I'm saying is, some people say that if you go down that road of of well, valuing wrong, human dignity I mean, in in their ability to to reason, then you could be justified in saying that if there that is was... less less worth in a child yeah. who's if you where were those faculties some haven't developed. Idiot who thought that only the ability to reason in a very sophisticated way, marked you out for special dignity, right? <laughs> oh, well, children don't get it then, right? If, but but what, hum, what humanist thinks that? Now, the fact is that they don't think that, or oh, I'm, I've never met one that's, that's ever explicitly ex- given me that view. It, would, it seems to me a bizarre view. It, what most humanists think is that there are all sorts of things that need to be taken into consideration in weighing up how we treat other beings, humans and non-humans, ethically. And the ability to reason may factor in there, but actually many of them deliberately exclude that, mm-hmm. actually. They're quite explicit. They say, no, that's not what matters morally. What matters is, say, the capacity to suffer. Mm-hmm. Children clearly can suffer. We all can suffer unless we are going to be comatose forever mm. and, and, and never come back, then perhaps they're going to fall, those individuals will fall the wrong side of the boundary. But there are even many Christians who would say, oh, actually, yeah, they fall the wrong side of the boundary. So it's, it's not as if there is a major problem here for humanism okay. that I can say. I just can't see what the problem is. What, what's your problem then? That, well, let you me were, clarify you were h- what the problem at is. The, the, problem the, the problem is, I mean, you know, I'm Stephen has a very different view from me on how reasonable it is to assert this. But, but Christians believe that uh, there is you know, a revealed truth, that we are made in the image of God, and that gives every single human being an intrinsic dignity, regardless of any of these specific capacities. Um, and therefore, we're very happy with the affirmation made in the Amsterdam Declaration, about which has no equivocation about any kind of capacities in it. Our worry is, we're all, we're all ears to hear it, but we, we are, our concern is that it looks like the key arguments being advanced for the dignity of human beings by atheists uh, are ones which are capacity-dependent, particularly once you've said, as Stephen says, you know, there really is no significant species mm. boundary here, in a way that means we don't end up valuing the worth, dignity and autonomy of every individual. Now, you can then say, well, it's fine. I mean, this is just where reason takes us. Fine. But yeah. then it takes us away from the values that were supposed to be stated as the fundamentals of humanism. Sure. That's all the report's observing. Only one document, but then not, you know, in various other documents, including the book I wrote. So, uh, I mean, you know, g- different, g- <laughs> different views among I humanists mean, g- about g- this. Give us a kind of concrete <laughs> example of, uh, inevitably, it'll be hypothetical, but, but could you envisage Angus uh, if, if you took... Um, Stephen's reasoning uh, or, or um, that, that it is about capacities and so on, that you could get to a situation where if, you, if, you, if it was the choice between um, saving a, um, a, a, a chimpanzee 
who has you know significant you know has all their faculties and, and everything available and uh, a human who is perhaps at some level extremely mentally impaired and um, uh, has a very bad quality of life and and will need constant round the clock care to alleviate suffering for the rest of their life that it's and that the, the, you're sort of morally obliged to to go with the one that has the better faculties, i.e. the chimpanzee, that and the better quality well, of life. Well, that's my question. So I don't if want to make that question. claim, but the question but, but is, you know, and, and then we move on to areas like you know um, people's people's capacities t- towards the end of life. Now, uh, I don't want to get specifically into the detail of yeah. assisted dying, but it does strike me that you know even those who think that's something where that's a line we should go down, which I don't, uh, want to be very careful in that territory. And if we haven't got a strong notion of the worth, dignity and autonomy of every individual, there does, just looks like there begins to be a slippery slope here. Uh, and I don't want to lampoon where that ends up. But hold on, we've got a clear view, which is a, you know, with fundamentals of humanist values being mm. offered by the International Humanist Association. That looks very clear. That make, puts the human into humanism uh, and very happy with that. It looks like here, uh, it's it's a delicate line to walk in argument because I don't mm. want to attribute to Stephen or anyone else ludicrous views they don't hold. Mm. I want to say, tell me the story as to how we don't end up having um, the position of, of very vulnerable people, people who haven't got some of the qualities Stephen listed earlier. How, how do they get the kind of intrinsic dignity how do that, we ensure that they yeah. are as intrinsically valuable, as, w- valuable as, as someone who does have a greater amount of these well, qualities it's more, the, the answer will be more complicated than because God says so it's always going to be more complicated <laughs> than that <laughs> and that's fine but the question is do we have an answer at all that a wor- yes, affirms the worth dignity you, and I can give you various answers in which clearly people who are towards the end of their life and are mentally incapacitated but clearly have the ability to suffer if your criterion is the ability to suffer that what's, what makes you more, gives you moral dignity and making makes you have that deserving of moral respect then that person clearly should not be killed for convenience sake but let me ask you a bit let me ask you a question you're asking me just if i might Hmm. that's a very interesting one because uh if if the ability to suffer is a key criterion you'd have thought the ability must be linked to what the criterion implies so if the if the thing is that you can suffer why would that be a reason for not you know for not peacefully and in a non-suffering way enabling someone to die. I mean, it's it's funny that the ability to suffer, if that was, as it were, all that was left and there's no oh, intrinsic I, I'm, thing to I'm do. in favour of assisted suicide. If that person wants to die and is suffering terribly, then I don't have a particular problem with allowing them and perhaps providing them with the facilities to do that. Uh, but so let then, me ask you a question. Yeah, yeah. OK, so you, if you think that human beings have a special dignity by virtue of being human beings given to them by God, and we'll have to take that on... Yep. the basis of revelation, um, if you think that that is true, then we have a, suppose we have a human being lying before us who is comatose, who is brain damaged, who will never regain consciousness. The, if the only way that you can save humanity from some awful disaster is by killing that one person, will you do it? I mean, that's a very interesting ethical question. I'm putting the same kind of yeah, question. Yeah, you put no, that absolutely, question to me. I'm absolutely. putting it to you. You can't. It's tough. These are tough. Yeah, and questions. there are tough questions. Okay, and uh, I think it's tough. So, so, no, so, so, but what actually would you? What would no. you do? <laughs> what would you do? I think that is. I mean, I, I think there are there are lines that I wouldn't cross. Uh, 
around torturing an innocent person. So I think we do have a disagreement as to there being some inviolable lines. The question of whether there's an inviolable line at the point where someone is uh, not actually conscious and would never be conscious again... Ooh, capacities. Right. It's, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Yeah. Is, isn't it? Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, we're, we're talking about extreme, <clears throat> in a sense, thought experiments at, at this point, and, and tends to be that in the real world, yeah. w- there aren't quite as stark uh, No, but look, no, we, I, we, there was this thought about, oh, this is dangerous, atheists are dangerous, their ideas are dangerous. <laughs> but look, what, what about the danger in this situation that somebody signs up to, yeah, God drew the line there, this person is on this side of the line. Mm-hmm. I can't apply, apply criteria like capacities and so on. I just have to accept that they get this dignity. And so I will allow humanity to be wiped from the face of the earth rather than kill this person. I mean, that is a dangerous view. And that is Angus's view, or at least he's teetering now on the edge of it. <laughs> no, right? That's not my view. <laughs> on a, on a, <laughs> OK, you're teetering though. You don't <laughs> no, know no, no. my view is that there is always an issue hmm. that... So, so that there are, there are some things uh, that are simply never compatible with treating someone as being, you know, as having worth, dignity and autonomy. And there are other things that we should be extremely hesitant to do. So I, I, I guess given that, I, uh, given that I'm not a pacifist uh, and that Christianity has a strong tradition of just war theory, um, there are situations in which uh, you know, innocent people end up dying mm. but there is a there's a dignity to individuals that mean that there's not an endless trade-off here and that dignity doesn't depend on their capacities I, I, we, we've talked at some level about this so I'm, I'm i'm thinking with with the remaining time we've got it would be interesting to, to try and get to one other area yeah. yes, that, okay. that comes up in the report and, and that kind of i think is is reason is another important facet of this um we'll mm. come to that as well so mm. just but before we do that, a, a reminder that if you want to get in touch about today's show, uh, you're more than welcome to drop me a line to unbelievable at premier.org.uk. My guests today, Angus Ritchie and Stephen Law, as we ask, does humanism need God? And if you want to catch up on this programme, send it on to others and indeed comment and get in touch. Premierchristianradio.com slash unbelievable. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. Yes, uh, exciting stuff in the studio today because uh, we've got really, um, really uh, an interesting debate going on, and um, uh, w- w- we've talked to, uh, yeah, at some level now about human dignity, yeah. worth, and so on, and whether you can justify it on atheism <clears throat> versus Christianity, and, and, and what what humanists actually believe, I suppose, about where the, this line I- is drawn. Um, I mean, another interesting aspect though of this report, and, and again, something that Stephen criticises in his uh, response blog, is that hu- the very uh, faculty of human. Re- reason which is so um you know is so important within the humanist atheist humanist tradition is also something that you can only really be justified in a theistic worldview as far as you're concerned angus and is much harder at least to, to justify just give us the bare bones of that and and let's see what stephen has to say in response i think the the tricky thing here uh, and it actually it, it it applies i think m- most trickily in the case of reasoning about moral issues is If the capacities we have, if the reason we've got them is either selective advantage or random mutation, why why would they always why would they track an objective truth? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that 
there are some kinds of rational capacities that have a fairly obvious justification in that way. Uh, there are others where that's and the, and the moral case is, I think, the most mm. clear uh, where that isn't available. I think that's a problem for atheist worldviews uh, in general. There's a more specific problem, uh, I think, around, um, and I think this is not a this is not an impossible one to get mm. over. But there's something of a tightrope for atheists to walk here uh, around um, what it is to believe things. Because we have a reason to, so that I'm not. I'm not sure that Stephen would fall into this category, but there certainly are people who would very confidently say they're atheists, atheist humanists, whose uh, account of human beings in the natural order leaves it very hard to see why we believe things because we have good reason. It looks like the the mechanistic nature by which we come to beliefs mm, mm. kind of undermines the sense yeah. that they're rational, and that to avoid that. I, I wonder if you end up with a, a view that needs to have quite a high doctrine of consciousness and the self mm. of a kind that not all atheists would be comfortable with. So one of those arguments, the one about uh, how does reason, and in particular moral reasoning, kind uh, of latch on to any kind of objective truth, I think I think is tricky yeah. pretty much across the piece. The second one is one, I think, just where atheists need to tread carefully. I mean, you've obviously done a separate report where, which specifically outlined this as well. We've yeah. perhaps given a fuller treatment there, and, and obviously we had you in to, to debate that uh, as well. Um, and you've debated something not dissimilar with Alvin Plantinger on this uh, yes, pr- programme yeah. in the distant past, Stephen. So you're familiar with, with where this is coming from and this, yes. this, this criticism. Um, I mean, if you were to... Explain it in your terms. What What is the criticism as far as you're concerned and, well, and then what's your, are, yeah. your problem with it? See, there are a number of different... There are several different arguments here. And actually, as one fails, another one always pops up in its place. <laughs> so it's like it's playing, like playing a whack-a-mole. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so maybe I'll, I'll just give you a simple one. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so, the, uh, so one um, concern... That actually only featured as a kind of tangent in um, Plantinga's original evolutionary argument against naturalism, but which nevertheless seemed to capture the Christian apologetic imagination, and so you find it wheeled out uh, endlessly, is the thought that um, natural selection will select for uh, behaviour that is adaptive. Rather than kind, for truth. Rather than for true beliefs, mm. yeah. Um now, you might think that there's a very obvious response to that, which is that true belief is what produces adaptive behaviour. If you have a lot of false beliefs, if I believe that belief you won't that there, survive isn't, very long. That there yeah. isn't a tiger in front of me, that, there isn't, that these poisonous berries are not in fact poisonous, I'm not going to get to survive and reproduce and pass my genetic material on. So any kind of uh, inheritable tendency towards... A false belief is going to be weeded out pretty quickly by natural selection, you might think. So that's that problem de- dealt with. But then you, another layer of argument is built on, and the extra layer that's very often built on by Christian apologists is to say, ah, oh, yes, but beliefs only produce behaviour in combination with desires. So, um, it, you know, I believe there's cheese in the fridge. Am I going to go to the fridge? Not yet. Uh, no, I need a desire for a cheese sandwich. Now I'm going, right? But actually, you can get e- true beliefs adaptive by pairing them up with certain desires. You can get them to produce adaptive behaviour, but you can also get false beliefs 
to produce adaptive behaviour if you just plug in the right desire mm. next to it. The two in combination will get you the result you need in terms of surviving and reproducing. So now why should uh, natural selection favour true beliefs rather mm. than false beliefs? That was a kind of subsidiary argument okay. that appeared in the evolutionary argument against naturalism. And I think it's probably the one... That kind of argument is particularly worth discussing because it's the one that people seem most familiar with, even yes. though I suspect it's probably not the I, best. I mean, does, is this essentially <clears throat> what, what your sort of view is built around, Angus, in terms of your, your questioning whether hum- atheistic worldview can, can accommodate our beliefs in, in, in our ability to reason and, and have true beliefs and so on? I think there are, I mean, as I, as I said, there are some, there needs to be some care given uh, in general uh, to. Um, atheistic accounts and how they avoid undermining the notion of how we have rational beliefs at all. But I think there is a specific issue here. I mean, I take Stephen's, um, and he's mentioned it a few times in the, it's a completely fair point. You know, there's a, there's a danger of Christians ending up with a kind of God of the gaps argument. Here's something we can't explain. Mm. Let's, you know, let's posit God. Uh, I think the argument about moral capacities is very different from that Mm. uh, because there, it, it, I mean, in a way, this overlaps with what we've discussed in the previous section. There are really uh, important reasons that I think we would both share uh, why uh, what enables a species maximally to survive and replicate, Mm. uh, morally speaking, will not always be the right thing. Mm. And so the question of how um, we have the capacity uh, through conscience and moral sentiment to get towards the truth on that is, I think, a particularly tricky one for atheists. We're going to have to take another break and we'll we'll start to wrap things up in a moment's time. Today on Unbelievable, with me, Justin Briley, we're asking, does humanism need God? And we'll be concluding that discussion with my guests today, Angus Ritchie and Stephen Law, in just a moment's time. We've been asking today whether human dignity, morality and reason can be justified on an atheistic worldview, something we've done in different ways over the years. But in this case, particularly in respect of um, the the things that many humanists, and by that very often it's come to be known as atheistic humanism, hold dear. Um, And uh, the author of a recent report, Angus Ritchie, on this has been with me in studio. If you want to find that report from Theos, it's at theosthinktank.co.uk. The case for Christian humanism, why Christians should believe in humanism and humanists in Christianity. Uh, Stephen Law has also joined me, philosopher who heads up the Centre for Inquiry in the UK. He's criticised the report. You can read it on his blog at centreforinquiry.net. Um, and in that last section, gentlemen, um, as, as we've gone around this in, in a few ways, we, we, we finished up at the, the, the third leg, if you like, of, of your argument uh, of why humanism needs Christianity, and, and that is to, to validate its belief in reason as trustworthy and everything else. And we haven't had time really to, to, to dig that out. It is a complex and quite philosophical subject. But you, you gave a, an, a neat summary, to some extent, at the end of that last section, Angus, of that. You wanted to respond quickly before we start to wrap things up, I think, Stephen. Yes, um there is a little bit of a whiff of God of the Gaps, I think, about, um, about this Theos uh, report. I mean, I, I am... Um, I, 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 you know, Angus is a smart guy, and he's written a very good book, actually, from morality to metaphysics on the problem of explaining how knowledge of objective moral truths 
uh, maps can be solved. Onto, yeah. yeah, why 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 are our faculties going to track those truths? Um, if you're a theist, you've got it covered. There's a God. He wants us to have that knowledge. He has the magical power to provide it. And Bob's your uncle. There's your there's your explanation straight away. It's just like you know, explain your my explaining why it is that you know you your keys have ended up mysteriously on the mantelpiece. <laughs> you can't explain it. It's baffling. But I got it covered with my gremlin explanation. Well, okay? yes and no. I so, mean, I suppose <clears> that the thing is that I mean, I as I understand it, Stephen, un- unlike some atheists, you do believe in an objective realm of moral values and yeah so let me so, so let me just say so which I'm is kind of to, hard to explain at some of level it's on an atheistic there are, all, there are all sorts of things that are hard to explain if you don't invoke a magical being with magical powers <laughs> uh, that's always going to be the case i'm afraid uh, and so i'm just going to tackle those problems head on and i don't i don't have a particular theory or answer to this um question um, I'm just pointing out that the mere fact that I can't come up with a good answer at this particular moment in time, and in fact it may be really quite a thorny problem if, given the non-theistic position, because we don't have that nice, convenient, quick answer every time. Um, you know, it, it, it may be a, a, it's a, it's a tough one. I know I'm not going to yeah. pretend mm. otherwise, but I can't see that that particularly gives me a reason to sign up to theism and many more than your own ability to explain how it, your keys given, ended up. It's on It's given the, some people. A reason to. I mean, it, it, there was that famous case not so long ago that Leia Labresco was an atheist blogger. It was this specific argument that yes. made her embrace Christianity. Yes, the moral argument. One of the most, one of the weakest, but one of the most <laughs> rhetorically powerful <laughs> arguments, which is where you always find it in the arsenal of arguments being uh, uh, by Christian apologists. It's it's it, it works. It, there's no doubt about that. Um, that's not to say it's a good argument. <laughs> um, Look, I think that uh, it's a big, interesting problem. I don't have a nice, easy uh, solution to it. I'll happily admit that. But that doesn't mean that I'm uh, now under some obligation to sign up to Angus's particular mm. answer. And in fact, I think there are good reasons for not signing up to um, that particular answer. It seems to me that there's abundant evidence that Angus's God doesn't exist. And if there is such... Uh, evidence, then it's really not... In much the same way as there's abundant evidence that gremlins don't exist. So if that's true, then obviously it's not sensible for me to adopt the gremlins explanation. It's just an area of mystery that you're happy to live with. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, No, I'm not happy to live with it. I want it solved, (laughs) damn it. But uh, I I can't solve it. But I'm not going to reach for the easy uh, snake oil off-the-shelf answer or a magical being with magical powers did it. Um, That's a very mm, kind of pejorative way of of terming the Determining the, 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 the Christian worldview, but but I mean, <clears throat> your this it, is it God of the gaps? Is it magical being with magical powers? Here's my answer to all the little mysteries we come up with in life, including the issue of human dignity, worth, um, morality, and reason. I mean that that's yeah what Stephen's saying is it, it's too easy an answer. It explains too much, you know, at that level. What's your answer to that? I guess? Yeah, I think uh, clearly not. Um, I think I would frame the issue slightly differently, that uh, that the world has for a long time looked like uh, it it had some kind of purpose. That's been a kind of uh, thing that's occurred to people across the universe. It's not just about explaining. I I, I think there's there's a categorical difference between immediate explanation of random event by God did it versus actually a bit more of a systematic account of why we might have reason to believe in a God with certain characteristics Mm -hmm. and why that might provide a good explanation for certain kinds of things. And I think Christians should acknowledge that there are areas where 
it was plausible to make quite a direct argument of that kind mm-hmm. before Darwin, mm-hmm. where it's not anymore. Okay, and you know that that seems to me, you know. Absolutely the case. So that's why in the case of From Morality to Metaphysics, about which Stephen is so kind, cheap at the price, 30 quid, I think, <laughs> that's, why, that's why I'm very careful to say, I think we have reason to think there's not just a problem we haven't quite solved yet. Mm-hmm. There is a, there's a push either to a very ethically problematic non-realism mm-hmm. or a problem that it just looks like natural selection can't answer because the only two things it seems to have is something to do with what will help survival and replication and random mutation so it's a kind of in principle argument i think it is it's i hope carefully made because it doesn't want to do the you know oh my goodness i can't find my keys <laughs> you know, mm. the lord must have hidden them mm. so i think there is um there is something here uh, and I think, in a funny way, I think we're in more agreement than I expected in that <laughs> okay. Stephen agrees that there is an interesting thing here. And I agree and say in the book that this on its own wouldn't be, you know, if you think theism's got a huge number of other intellectual problems, this ain't going to solve it. But it is just about having a little bit more of a sense that... Um, these issues aren't straightforward sure. for either side. Sure. And, and, and this and, one and is one like theism, which and I think there are independent like you, reasons for believing. You want to warn humanist atheists that if you're just assuming yeah. that, that humans have this inherent dignity worth and so on, where does that assumption come from? You're just saying, I'd just like you to, to question that assumption and, and where what, what foundation is. Because I think a lot of humanists, perhaps who haven't had the time to, to th- think philosophically through these mm. issues, there is a kind of an assumption... There. Yes, and, and I think, I think you, you equally would, would would ask them to. to, no, to question I will that always statement. encourage people to question their assumptions. I'm a philosopher. <laughs> I think it's a valuable exercise. So I would, in, if they've just taken that for granted in an unthinking way, because Richard Dawkins told them to say, so, uh, that's <laughs> or, not a very or, good reason. <laughs> that's not a very good. However, in my experience, actually, humanists tend to be fairly well educated, thoughtful people, and that's often why they're humanists. And so, mm. I don't think that. As a general rule, it would be fair to say, oh, look, you, Mr. or Mrs. Humanist, you're just assuming these things. I think they really just assume them. I think they usually interrogate them and think about them and read books, which some of which provide good answers, some of which provide perhaps not such good answers. Um, where am I going with this? Well, I think well, here's, well, here's, here's, here's the thought I was going to end up with, which is, is this, really, that I mean, if there's a really good case for not believing in God, and I, I think there is, actually, then if, if Angus can show, and this is an enormous if, obviously, <laughs> uh, if he could show that um, you can't have knowledge of objective moral value in the absence of such a being, then I'll just go, oh, well, then we can't have knowledge of objective moral value then. Uh, perhaps there is no objective moral you'd, value. You'd that drop might that be... realm rather than say, yes, therefore God. It's, it's, it, yeah, it's, it yeah, but not out of preference. You're making it sound like, <laughs> oh, anything but God. No, 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 no. I'm going where the reason takes me. So if, so if um, Angus can show that you know, I can't have this knowledge uh, unless there's a God, but oh dear, there's overwhelming evidence that there ain't no such God, then I'll have to accept that my very powerful intuition that there I do have such knowledge is mistaken. But, you know, intuitions have turned out to be mistaken before. And you might, I mean, you might say, oh, and that really, that's terrible, ethically speaking. Uh, you know, it really matters if nothing ethically matters. But, of course, if nothing ethically matters, it doesn't matter that nothing ethically matters. <laughs> 
Yes, I suppose that's true. Um, well, no, it's been really interesting. Angus, you're, just, I just, just wanted to, a, I mean, a, a brief I'm, final I'm word and, really yeah. struck by the fact that this, this kind of seems to make the point of the report that, uh, I mean, what we started with was some fundamentals about ethics mattering and about the dignity of the individual. And there do seem to be some serious arguments here that make that wobble for atheist humanism. That's all we're trying to say. And that, that appears to some extent, to be common ground. You're, you're putting a little stone in the shoe, uh, a little wobble in... <laughs> but anyway, it's, it's interesting stuff. Thank you very much. And if you want to, of course, read the report in full, theosthinktank.co.uk is where you can find links to it. It's made it all completely available for free. So so go and and, and you can even comment on it and, and all sorts. Um, uh, and, of course, make sure to read Stephen's response at his blog as well. I'll make sure there are direct links from today's programme online to both of those, so you can go straight there if you go to Premier Christian Radio radio.com slash unbelievable and avail yourself of the resources underneath today's program uh, in the meantime it's been really fun having you both in it was a really spirited interesting discussion today and and, and that was in, in itself fun being here. great yes, fun i enjoyed it yeah. thank you very much so uh, again if you want to find out more about both my <coughs> guests theosthinktank.co.uk or centerforinquiry.net That was a classic replay from 2015, moderated by Justin Briley between Angus Ritchie and Stephen Law. What did you think? Let us know by emailing unbelievable at premier.org.uk or by commenting on our Premier Unbelievable Facebook page or tweeting us at unbelievablefe. If you want to check out the Theos report for yourselves and Stephen Law's response, both of those are linked in the show notes below the podcast. And if you want to explore more from Premier Unbelievable, and register for exclusive content, head over to premierunbelievable.com. See you next time for more Unbelievable Classic Replay. Unbelievable.